Sundown Town existed throughout the nation, but more often, they were located in northern states that were not pre-Civil War slave states. Although the precise number of Sundown Towns in the United States is unknown, it is estimated that there were several thousand such towns throughout the nation. The term Sundown Town come from signs once posted at the city limit reading, Nigger, don't let the sun set on you. In addition to excluding African Americans from many small towns, Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Mexican Americans, Jews, and Native Americans. Citizens and non-citizens alike were also subject to such exclusions. In some cases, the exclusion was official town policy. In others, in others cases, the racism policy was enforced through intimidation. This intimidation could occur in a number of ways, including harassment by law enforcement officers with the blessing of the local citizens. (laughs) Although the thought of sundown towns may seem a relic of the past to many of us today, sociologist James Lowen estimates that by 1970 still more than half of all incorporated communities outside the traditional South probably excluded African Americans. Many of these communities had no history of Blacks in residence. Such laws persisted even throughout the era of the Civil Rights Movement. Like right there. They persisted even throughout the era of the Civil Rights Movement. So, my comment is, do you really think it was making a difference to them that you were fighting for civil rights? So they take the, the signs down. What difference does that make? We still have sundown towns around us right today. 
The city council of New Market, Iowa, for example, suspended its sundown ordinance for one night in the mid-1980s to allow an intellectual band to play at a town festival. But it went back into effect the next day. So what what is it like today in these communities? Few sundown towns today have significant populations of excluded people. Some towns where colleges are located have benefited from efforts to desegregate their hometown. Such has been the case with initiatives by Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. What Lowen calls recovery. Recovering sundown towns face continuing challenges to develop good race relations to attract African American families, including biased school curricula and overwhelming white teaching staffs, practices that discourage desegregation persist across the country. tell you that they still exist today whenever you take a ride outside of your city that you may you reside in the further you go the further you will see the further you will feel unwelcome travel with. But right now, today, there are still sundown towns. They just don't have signs. <laughs> I'll be right back. TVY, Black Living Talk. This is a letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. You may well ask, why direct action? Why sit-ins, marches, and so forth? Isn't negotiation a better path? You are quite right in calling for negotiation. Indeed, this is the very purpose of direct action. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community that has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. My citing the creation of tension as part of the work of the nonviolent resistor may sound rather shocking. But I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. I have earnestly opposed violent tension, but there is a type of constructive 
nonviolent tension, which is necessary for growth. Just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and have truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal, so we must see the need for nonviolent gadflies to, to create the kind of tension in society that will help men rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. The purpose of our direct action program is to create a situation so crisis-packed that it will inevitably open the door to negotiation. I therefore concur with you in your call for negotiation. Too long has our beloved Southland been bogged down in a tragic effort to live in monologue rather than dialogue. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. Excuse me. This is certainly a legitimate concern since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954, outlawing segregation in the public schools. At first glance, it may seem rather paradoxical for us consciously to break laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advance to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with Saint Augustine that an unjust law is no unlaw is no law at all. Source King Jr. Copyright 1963 by Martin Luther King Jr. Renewed 1991 by Coretta Scott King. Reprinted by arrangement with the estate of Martin Luther King Jr. and care of Writer's House as agents for the proprietor. Listen to our voices. A letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. I'll be right back.